Hi friends, thank you for joining us again for the ASP Stories weekend bonus episode. Join us on Mondays and Thursdays where we interview amazing guests where they share with us about their adventure sports and the amazing feats that they have done. But ASP Stories is where we get to listen in as authors read their adventure stories to us. So sit back with your hot cup of tea or coffee and kick off your adventure-filled weekend by listening in while we hear more from ASP Stories. This episode is sponsored in part by Kennedy Pet Food. You know your dog is the best part of your adventure, and a great way to keep him happy and healthy is by feeding him the best pet food. That's why you need to check out Canaday Pet Food. Canaday is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. Check out Canaday.com slash podcast. The next series on ASP Stories will be from Annie Dyke. Annie has a blog at havewindwilltravel.com. Go check it out. You can also hear more from Annie on episode 75 and episode 138 on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now sit back and enjoy while Annie reads from Chapter 3 of Keys to the Kingdom. Hi there, Annie here, salty writer, sailor, rum drinker, and dream chaser at HaveWinWillTravel.com. I've been writing a blog at HaveWinWillTravel.com. Uh, chronicling the adventures and more often misadventures of uh, my boyfriend and I on our 1985 Niagara 35. Lots of really cool articles, how-tos, how-not-tos, and photos and videos there for you, and links to my books. I have three uh, self-published sailing books, um, ranked number one on Amazon at one point in time. Uh, very fun stories, though, and feel free to go check them out. I'm going to read for you now some portions of chapters 3 and 4 from my second sailing book, Keys to the Kingdom. Chapter 3, The Treetop Phenomenon. I have some bad news, Philip said. Three minutes after 6 a.m. is when he said it. It was kind of laughable. I knew we were out in the middle of the gulf on a sailboat with no way to raise our mainsail. I also knew, in order to sail, we were going to have to find some way to climb up on the bimini and get our halyard off the backstay. But wait, you have worse news? Okay, shoot. It climbed its way up the mast, Philip hollered down to me in the saloon. Up the mast? Climb? It? I shook my head a few times and rubbed my eyes, trying to piece together what he was telling me and clear my vision at the same time. The what did, I asked, still a little groggy. The halyard, he said. It's at the top of the mast. Although his words made sense, I didn't really understand how it could have happened. The last time I saw our main halyard, that turd, he was wrapped a couple of times around the backstay. Too high up to reach, but he seemed secure at the time, and I call him a he because he is. He's a snot-nosed little brat. Don't let go of him for a second was the lesson we took away from all this. By all appearances, Hal, short for Halyard, was going to stay wound around the backstay for the night, just a few feet over our heads, until the morning when we could fetch him back in broad daylight. That would have been great. That's not what happened. I had never suspected he would be anywhere else when the sun rose. How could Hal have possibly snaked his way back up the mast? Not that I didn't believe Philip, but I had to step up into the cockpit to see it for myself. And there he was, our main halyard, way up at the top of the mast. He was giving us a friendly little wave from up high. You turd, I thought. Apparently, the weight of the line from below was enough to counterbalance the length of the line was out, particularly when it was wound around the backstay. As a result, the shackle eventually creeped its way all the way up the backstay to the top of the mast. You might have guessed this, but unfortunately, 
A big part of sailing is the ability to raise the sails. There was no way around it. Philip and I weren't going to be doing any sailing until one of us climbed the mast to bring that halyard back down so we could raise the mainsail back up. We were still out in the Gulf, about five or six hours from Clearwater, with favorable wind, and we had already been motoring through the night. Sailing was really the best option. We made some coffee and assessed the situation. The seas were relatively calm that morning. We had two to three foot swells rolling through every three to four seconds, but they were quartering us nicely on the port bow, so the boat was rocking gently over them. It was a moderately smooth sea state. Swaying gently below, however, is perceived far differently 50 feet up in the air. Think back on those days when, as a child, you climbed to the top of a tall tree, one that appeared to be standing still on the ground, and it surprised you how much it actually swayed from side to side in the wind once you made it to the very top. The same principle applies to the mast of a sailboat. They are far more flexible than you think. As you have probably already guessed, I drew the short straw and was deemed the lucky deckhand to climb the mast that day. Oh, happy day. While I had ascended the mast several times at that point in my short sailing career, all of those times occurred when the boat was docked safely at the marina. Not while we were underway, and not while the boat was bobbing and swaying over two to three foot seas. But it was a simple, undeniable truth. He had gone up, so I had to go after him. I was ready, though. To be honest, I was a little excited. I was about to climb the height of our beautiful boat and look out across an expanse of crystal blue waters in the Gulf. I was exactly where I wanted to be. One week into our much-anticipated inaugural trip to the Florida Keys, just Philip and me on our incredible Niagara 35, from the moment we brought her home from Punta Gorda, Florida, to Pensacola the previous year, we had been talking about, planning, and making another offshore trip. Now here we were, back out in the Gulf, making our way down to the Florida Keys, and it seemed nothing could dampen our moon. So we let go of the main halyard. Okay, we means I here, but we knew we'd get it back. So we needed to climb the mast mid-sea to do it. We knew we, meaning I, could. When you're cruising around on a sailboat, you just kind of start to expect these things. They're not setbacks. They're normal occurrences that you just have to deal with. Things aren't going, things are going to break and need to be repaired. You're going to get caught in weather sometimes and get a little roughed up. Equipment is going to fail when you least expect, want, or need it to. It's just going to happen. The more you're out there experiencing and learning from it, though, the better you will be at handling the next expected, unexpected catastrophe, and the more you will probably enjoy it. It's hard, it's fun, it's frustrating, and it's the most ultimate reward. I can guarantee one thing, cruising is never boring, and it certainly wasn't going to be this day. I was about to scale a 50-foot pole while sailing across the Gulf of Mexico. Here we go. While the mass climb mid-sea was, in and of itself, going to be a pretty daunting undertaking, we had yet another issue to deal with. You see, the problem with having to ascend the mast to get your main halyard back down is that you can't use the main halyard, typically your strongest line for hoisting heavy objects, to do it. Bring in the B-team. After some examination of the mast, it was determined we would have to use the spinnaker halyard because it was the only line coming out of the mast that would, in theory, allow me to actually get to the top. The others, the topping lift for the spinnaker, the inner forestay for the staysail, and the halyard for the staysail, all stopped short a few feet shy of the top of the mast, where the main halyard was gaily waving down at us. We see you, you turd. I had to be able to get all the way to the top to retrieve it. The spinnaker halyard, we believed, also in theory, would be plenty strong enough to raise me, but we had yet to use ours on the boat. Philip and I are far more leisure cruisers than racers, hence there's no real need to hoist that big, huge, billowing sail just to pick up a couple knots. Spinnakers are beautiful, yes, even iconic in sailing paintings and pictures, they're also a huge chore, 
the thought of using the line designed to raise a lofty, flowing, beautiful sail for the first time to raise yours truly 50 feet into the air made both Philip and I a little uneasy, but it was our only option. Plus, I weigh less than Philip, which makes me the obvious choice for ascending. To be safe, though, Philip decided to secure the halyard for the stay sail to me as a backup safety line. That way, if, for whatever reason, the spinnaker halyard fail, I would only tumble seven or eight feet before the backup line would catch and send me banging into the mast. That was better than a splat on the deck. The decision was made. It was time to get to it. We left some coffee warm in our mugs and started rigging me up. Dogs make the best partners for outdoor adventures. Good food keeps your dog happy and healthy for those big days. So feed your pets Canada. Canada is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. In keeping with their commitment to pets and their people, Canada has taken the first steps at Canada Farms to getting involved in growing the ingredients that they use. Go to Canada.com slash podcast to try Canada for free by requesting a free sample and you'll get other special offers too. That's C-A-N-I-D-A-E dot com slash podcast. Again, that's Canada.com slash podcast. Check out bikeparts.com for all your cycling gear. They have a wide selection of over 60,000 bike parts and accessories. Need suggestions or have a question about what fits your bike? Their knowledgeable staff will answer any questions and get you rolling as quickly as possible. If you're in the great state of Colorado, stop by their full-service bike shop, Peak Cycles, in downtown Golden. That's bikeparts.com. As I'm sure you know from listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. After some discussion, Philip and I decided to latch our boat hook, yes, the same one I had rescued from dark waters the night before, to me. I wanted to use it to snag the halyard in case it was just a few feet or inches out of my reach at the top of the mast. It was a great plan in theory, an epic failure in execution. We tied a length of line approximately three feet to the end of the hook and latched that to my bosun's chair so it would be secured to me in a manner that I could hoist it and use it while having it secured to my bosun's chair. Think of it like a set of keys on a chain. Once I was tied three ways, to, three ways to Sunday, we started the ascension. Starting from atop the boom, and Philip worked all the lines from the cockpit. We had also been fighting nightly banging from our inner force day during this trip, so we decided one other item to accomplish during this ascension would be to remove the inner force day from the mast. We figured we could easily ascend again to remount it on the off chance we would need it on this trip. 
And I hope experienced sailors out there reading this do appreciate the genius line of reasoning for what it's truly worth. Let's climb the mast in light seas. To take down a stay, we will need to reclimb the mast to remount in rough seas. Why would we do this? Because it was banging. Apparently, we like undertaking mid-sea mast ascensions in storm conditions more than banging. Clearly, it was a decision we would frown upon later, but that's the hilarity of hindsight. At the time, we thought it was a splendidly brilliant idea and added it to my list of mid-mast chores. Another downside of ascending using the spinnaker halyard is that it comes out on the fore bow side of the mast, so I had to climb on the front side of the mast where many blocks, pulleys, tracks, and a steaming light reside. These caused some pain as I was scraped and pulled across them and proved decidedly fatal for our steaming light. As I was ascending, I watched the spinnaker halyard at the top of the mast, watching my backup safety line as Philip intermittently cranked it in and checking periodically to make sure the boat hook was still attached to me. Everything seemed to be cranking along as smoothly as could be until I saw a problem. Stop, I thundered down to Philip. The knot for my backup line was riding just below the steaming light on the front of the mast, and I knew he was about to crank right over it, dragging the knot and all of my 143 pounds behind it. Okay, 145. We did have steak the night before. But with my being approximately 25 feet up already, trying to shout through wind and waves to Philip back in the cockpit, he couldn't hear me. The knot caught tight underneath the light, and I watched as it pinched, puckered, and shattered our steaming light when Philip hoisted me up a few cranks. I hated to see it happen, but thankfully, it's not one of the more crucial lights on the mast, so say la vie. It was about that time that what I like to call the treetop phenomenon started to kick in. It's startling how much the movement of the mast changes a mere 30 feet up and how flexible the mast really is. She can really sway. And because she was, it became far more crucial that I cling to her, with both legs and arms wrapped tightly around and clenched together on the other side. I was literally a mast hugger. The mild two to three foot rollers we had felt below felt like four to five foot monsters at that height, and I was struggling merely to keep my body wrapped around the mast, much less ascend it. I knew if I let go, I would be toast. I would swing out just as wildly as the main halyard had, bang around every shroud in my 10-foot radius, and, assuming I didn't get wrapped around one, which would be really worse, would come swinging back and crash into the mast. All of this would occur with me unable to control which way I was turning, which limbs or body parts would hit where, and whether or not I would even stay conscious for the whole thing, much less alive. The mast was swaying in a huge arc, forward and backward, but I could not let go. It was the only thing that could ensure my safe ascent down. With the exaggerated rocking to and fro and my hands otherwise occupied around the mast, it was about that time that the boat hook came unfastened from my bosun's chair and fell the three-foot length of line we had tied to it, like a pocket watch dangling at the end of its chain. Although I do not now believe a boat hook can do anything near as dainty as dangle, I watched as it began swinging and clanging wildly against the backs of my calves, my feet, and the mast. There was nothing I could do about it, though, but hold firm, when I knew it was whipping and about to t potentially strike me. It made quite a ruckus banging around up there, but I'll tell you, the worst sound was the groaning and creaking of the spinnaker halyard. I could see Philip cranking hard below, four, five, six times around the winch, but the halyard would only seem to pull me up three inches, maybe four, while letting out a gut-wrenching wail of exhaustion. You would have thought I weighed 400 pounds the way that thing was carrying on. Although I hope she can't hear me, I must admit there are times I doubted the spinnaker how he could raise me any further. She was stretched so thin. I started to believe she must be right, so I clung all 400 of my pounds tightly to the mast with a kung fu death grip to help her with the weight. After a few clamorous bangs of the boat hook on the mast and my legs, I finally heard a hollow aluminum pop behind me. But this time there was a light tug on my rear and then a bit of weightless release. And there it went, the boat hook. 
I watched it fly freely, end over end, over the bimini, past the stern, twirling lightly through the air before it landed in the water a good 30 feet behind the boat. The thing is four feet easily, and it looked like a toothpick being flicked in the wind from up there. I suddenly felt so incredibly small, so frighteningly insubstantial. I think that's when the real fear kicked in. I knew now I wasn't going to have any kind of magic extender to help me reach out to grab the hired when I got to the top. Stretching to it would likely mean extracting my battered body from the safety of the bosun's chair, a proposition I was not yet willing to entertain as my thighs were tiring and I was still swinging wildly three feet one way and another, three feet back in the waves, but I was already up there. It was now or never, just a few more feet. Philip and I both watched the boat hook hit the water and float away. We met eyes for a moment and simultaneously decided there was nothing that could be done. We couldn't stop everything to turn around and rescue it this time. It was gone. Philip shrugged his shoulders and shouted, You ready? I hollered a mighty yes back and that I hoped sounded braver than I felt. The last few feet up the mast seemed to be the most straining on the spinnaker hired. I watched Philip crank round and around and I felt myself inch up the mast at a snail's pace. Finally, the knot on the spinnaker hired reached the pulley at the top and I knew there was nothing more Philip could do. I shouted for him to stop and set my sights on the hired. It was probably about 10 inches out of my reach, with my weight resting safely in the seat of the bosun's chair or as safely as possible 50 feet up clinging to a swaying mast. I was so close. I gripped my bare thighs around the aluminum. They were already scraped and red and bruised from all the gripping I had done during the climb. They hurt, but I didn't care. I squeezed tighter and they clung. I knew I was going to have to climb the last foot of the mast on my own with no safety chair, just my bruised and battered appendages holding my tired body tight to the mast and inching it upwards. There was no other way. The boat heeled left, then right as a roller came through. As soon as it passed, I went for it, inching my way up with quivering thighs. The heat from the bosun's chair leaving me quickly and the wind chilling my backside, reminding me of the indifferent emptiness beneath me. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of ASP Stories with Annie Dyke. Annie will be back with a few more readings in the weeks to come. In the meantime, check out her blog at Have When Will Travel, and you can hear her other episodes on episodes 75 and 138. Thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your weekend.